Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Raf. <laughs> no, hey. I did it again. <laughs> Hello, Raphael. <laughs> Too many syllables? Yeah, I'm trying to shorten it. I'm trying to make this podcast more efficient every week. Yeah, there's, there are those podcasts where they cut out all the silences and the us and they do this hypercutting. Oh, really? You haven't heard that style of podcast Not yet. with a lot of sound effects in between and it it's funny it, to me I, I drift off when it's those kind of podcasts when they're too produced mm-hmm. I haven't I, I mean yeah. there's one I can't remember the name of it where the guy totally distorts his voice and stuff uh, where it's over the top which I think is it's like PewDiePie style or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've thought about us having like a soundboard I, I just th- actually I think it would be more fun if it was like uh, remember in the 1990s, if you listened to the radio, they'd have like sound effects on a soundboard. I, I never listened to the radio. They'd be like Rick and Morty in the morning. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> woo, woo, woo! Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> boy. I think. Uh, do you know the Kroll Show? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he has that Latino radio station, and the whatever subject they just have the so, the the sound effects. So it's like, oh, your baby died. Woo, woo, woo! So, uh, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, pretty good. You're in New York. Um, it's really hot in New York this week. Yeah, it's a heat wave. It's like 36, 37, so... Oh, man. It's not that hot here. Yeah, oh. but we... Uh, I, I try to go to the movies. That's something I do when it's that hot. Mm, that's a good excuse. Because I don't like the beach so much around New York, so... yeah. And did you go see Baby Driver? No, we're going tomorrow. Did you see it? <laughs> but I've been watching the trailer since you mentioned it. And oh, okay. then I was just reading an article about like the rise of like uh, movies with playlists uh, with yeah, like yeah. young male playlists. But one thing I noticed about that movie is like how it's the first time the iPod from the mid aughts is like glamorized as like a cool object, like a retro object. Well, again. maybe maybe you should go watch it as well this weekend, and then we can talk about it next week. Yeah, I want to go see uh, Dunkirk this weekend, or Kristen does, uh, which is like the new Christopher Nolan uh, yeah. film. I read about it. My friend Nikola Tosic wrote about how that's kind of this stupid 20th century propaganda that you have to fight for the king and, and your <laughs> honor and all this crap. Yeah, yeah and Prince and so Harry- many wars were fought. It, it, it's, it's military propaganda. But, mm. It's great. Um, that's why I want to see it. And Prince Harry is in it, too, which is weird. Okay. I want to see We're going to see Valyrian as well. Isn't that that's the children's sci-fi movie? It's a, it's it's Luc Besson. It's a lot of uh, imaginative, uh, fashion-oriented art direction yeah. and sci-fi. No, I, I want to see that as well for the same yeah. reason. And and it, so far, it got pretty bad reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And usually, I prefer movies that got a bad. <laughs> that's yeah. That's the new the new like, good like review. Batman versus Superman had the worst reviews, and I loved it. So, hmm. what did you like about that? I never saw it. I don't even remember. I did, for me, all those movies are just like... It, it's almost like watching a Jackson Pollock movie in, in motion. It's just like a lot of splatter and mm-hmm. color. And I uh, often go to movies just for the art direction. Like, uh, yeah, right? And often, like, yeah. so, sometimes they're really, really bad movies, but I really don't care uh, because I'm not interested in storytelling anymore. But then it's also nice that we have a theater here nearby and they play a lot of old movies. So I, I, I've yeah. never seen a full Hitchcock movie and I saw one now. The Did you see it on original the original print though? That's a big difference. I think so. It was it was called 39 Steps mm-hmm. and it's 3 by 3 by 4 ratio. Mm-hmm. 
So there was a whole, I, I remember seeing when they switched from 3x4 to widescreen that a lot of directors said, no, that's not cinema. Mm. Cinema is 3x4, that's the human perception, and this, what's this widescreen bullshit? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, was that, um, is that why television was a 4x3 or 3x4 aspect ratio? Yeah, the, it, it must have also been that, that came out of a, a cannon shooting electrons at a screen that... It, the more square, the easier to build. Because the original, yeah, television was round, right? Like t- perfectly circle. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I think if things come out of a tube and you're throwing these photons or electrons or whatever it is, these particles, probably if they had to do widescreen, they would have to have two tubes well, and, and sink sink them, and that would be hard. And no, and that's a good segue. I mean, this uh, Dunkirk movie that we're seeing, Kristen wants to see an original seventy millimeter, which is even wider, right? Like. Uh, like or is it just higher resolution? I'm not sure if mm, it's wider. Is, yeah, is it both? Okay, we're clearly unknowledgeable about this, but we're knowledgeable about screen it, we're, size. We're doing the cringe <laughs> thing again, where any fan of something is like, oh, dude, don't you know? Well, 70 is, is twice 35, which I know that 35 is the stand, was the standard film format. Um, and of which course, was the, the format of, of, of a normal SLR when we grew up with film. Uh, exactly. That, yeah. Like when you, when you think of a roll of film that you would put in an old camera, that's... Also, with all the Hollywood movies, that was the size. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you could shoot, you've been able to shoot 70 millimeter uh, and IMAX, which is separate too, for quite some time, which is a much bigger frame. Now, I don't know about the, the width, like whether, you know, when there's that super narrow kind of. The ratio. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I don't know how, all of the different ratios, but I, you know, when you go to a film, they always like throw up like 25 logos relative about that. <laughs> They'll be like, Panavision yeah. brought to you by Dolby Color. And but it just makes everything look pro. The more <laughs> logos, the, the more pro. Mm-hmm. You also have that, uh, the olive tree crown or something from all the film festivals. And mm-hmm. any, any two letters you put in between those looks like an award. That's right. I think we talked about that in a previous episode in the show notes. I posted like a website where you can go make your own olive branch awards. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. today we the, wanted the to talk. Jeremy ta- Bailey Institute <laughs> podcast award. You wanted to talk about this is a good segue though from screen size. Uh, into, this is such a good segue into uh, laptops. You think you, we yeah. wanted to? Talk, we wanted to finally talk about laptops. I think we've teased it out for. Yeah, well, the the reason I wanted to talk about laptops is that it seems that when people talk about technology and how the world has changed, everybody talks about mobile. Mm-hmm. And to me, especially for artists, what really changed the game was the laptop. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was huge uh, for me personally because as a performer, I needed, uh, like, who performed with his computer, I needed to, I couldn't travel to do performances. Uh, so I would, yeah, I did. And if you can't travel, then no one will see you. Well, yeah, I had a Mac Pro Tower. Like, remember the big heavy ones? Have you remember with the two handles at the top? Yeah, but the, the sort of when the iMac came out and they had the same kind of material for the, mm-hmm. the G3 powered. Tower. Yeah, the, so the last tower though I had besides kind of when when they went from beige to translucent. Uh-huh. So uh, no, I didn't have a translucent tower. I had I went from that to I they're the, they're carved out of aluminum. It was like the first time like I think they uh, put okay. Johnny I put together one of those ridiculous videos where they like show you like and we champ with the edges and we drilled a thousand holes and da 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 da. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and the thing weighed a ton, but I would actually, I was just starting out, um, I just finished grad school, so I wasn't yet like flying around. Uh, I haven't always been a famous artist, but I was 
locally doing performances. <laughs> You've always said you were a film artist, <laughs> and then it happened. Yeah, and so, yeah. Uh, I, but I would have to lug that around town to different shows, and I can remember taking like the subway to a show and having this like huge I, tower. I re- yeah, it was. I such remember a traveling. I remember traveling with zip disks and and CDRs before I had a laptop. So I would have a show somewhere, and I would bring all my source files and. Because last minute changes, you always need something. And I would email them, do you have this software? What version do you have? Because I need to work <laughs> on it. And I remember um, I had a shitty old computer at home. And then I would use any computer in art school uh, and just bring my zip disk. And that was kind of my, the disk was kind of my OS. I just yeah. worked from there. And it also took me, I was always about web apps because I was always logging in everywhere. I didn't have my own laptop. And laptops were available at that time, but they were pretty expensive. I mean, very expensive. And, and underpowered. For, yeah, for the performance, the performance to price ratio. Was what year was are we talking? I'm talking 2006, 2007. Oh. Right now. That's how late. Are, are you much younger than me? <laughs> I'm saying what, that the power in a laptop and the price. Was, no, but what year were you born? I was born in 1979. Oh, Okay. Okay, weird. Because I'm uh, it, when we're talking about these moments, I'm talking about 1998. Well, yeah, I didn't wasn't a professional artist until uh, no, but you went to school and you used a computer. Uh, okay, we're going we're going back there to yeah. yeah yeah. Well, I had like easy drives and zip disks and all of that. But stuff. But you remember the idea that before you had a laptop that you had a computer at home and you would use computers in the computer lab. Yeah, of course. At school. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the, the computers at school were never as good as the computer I had at home because my father, uh, I was very lucky, he ran a design studio. And so I would always get like the computers they didn't think were powerful enough anymore. They'd bring them home. That would become my home computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I like... So now we're, we'll have some listeners who are angry about your privilege. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I know, I recognize it. And then I remember I had one of the first computers with video inputs, like so I could do video editing on it. And I was in 1990. Seven. I had a. Did you do video editing before the computer, on a on a console with tapes? Or? I did on V. Yeah, I would have like two VHS decks. This is as like a teenager, and because I, I was really into video, and I would like edit back and forth. Uh, I would just edit back and forth, like kind of rec- record from one VHS deck to the other. Yeah, I'm sure uh, anyone, any, all kids kind of had this moment of making like, well. I don't know who our listeners are, listeners are, how kids do it now, but back then you would want to record like a news show or something or a video for school. And so uh, your, your options were limited to whatever consumer electronics you had available. Yeah. You just press yeah, yeah. pause, record, pause, record. Well, I bet a lot of our listeners played around with the technology their parents had. So oh. whatever that was. Yeah, I know, I know. But I don't take anything for granted anymore because like, you know, even digital uh, cameras, like those were terrible they were shit in the 1990s like no but the 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 camera that i used to make stop motion stuff was really bad because it didn't have a a a still function Mm -hmm. so now if you i can assume that any of our listeners had some form of computer at home and a small point and shoot camera i mean most people will have will the our age will have grown up with some digital camera and it doesn't even have to be that high res but if you have a digital camera that was like one megapixel that was already mm-hmm. better than a really good video camera for shooting stop motion mm. so if if you have a digital still camera even if it's a cheap point and shoot from 1999 
You could do good stop motion with that. Stop motion, you're right. Always the first thing maybe that they teach kids or kids get into. Because I did stop motion, but I didn't have a digital camera. I had a video camera. And we pressed record, pause, record. So it was like the lowest yeah. possible frame rate with but like I, your hand in the corner of the shot. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Always a few shots. <laughs> so you had to press uh, start and, and pause, basically. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you, the second one didn't register. So you would have... Uh, 15 seconds of stop motion yeah, like yeah. frames 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 and then all of a sudden like a, a 20 second bit where you hear like hey no put it over there but, and, and there was no way to get that out of the video yeah I love those moments as children but the reason we wanted to talk about this is as, as artists I thought that's why I, that's why I fast forwarded to um, 2007 2008 because yeah. that's when I first I think had the I think that's the. Fr- I, I, I I wasn't comfortable calling myself an artist professionally until that time. I don't think <clears throat> I have to admit, even though I'd done quite a few shows, um, I didn't have an MFA. Um, and then once I did, I was still uncomfortable with the term because I wasn't making a living from it, <clears throat> which I'm still not able to do. So maybe I'm still. I shouldn't call myself an artist today. Uh, but uh, yeah, so for me, it was just the laptop was this revolutionary because I could start to go on out into the world on tour. Uh, as a performer and when did you get your first laptop I got my first laptop in 2008 2007 or 2008 and I remember actually it allowed me to go uh, to I brought it with me to a residency in Banff um, Alberta and uh, that was the first time I could like bring my equipment with me mm. um, and yeah it was just I don't know that was really amazing and I could like work on a plane or on a train yeah. <laughs> it's like the stress you know because otherwise you have the stress building up at home and then it's like I have to go and I could now like well it, it might know. be also that you always worked with video which is a, a very intense com- computational process yeah and I always worked with graphics uh, and a very low so when when did you get your so first I, laptop maybe 2002 oh wow yeah so your what was your first laptop um I bought a used iBook from someone from my class. Uh, like one of the, the white ones, or did it have a clamshell yeah. colored case? No, not not the one that looks like the iMac. Uh, yeah, the one that's actually shaped like a shell, uh, the non-rectangular one. No, so the one after that. So the, re- so before, the actual rectangular bef- one. I mean, my very first computer was a a really old Mac that I bought from a teacher at school, and I paid him a hundred bucks. I think it was already ten years old. Mm-hmm. Was that like a four eighty six PC or something? <laughs> Yeah, and it had like the Adobe One or something on it. Oh, classic. Uh, yeah, but it was really good to learn on. Yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, that was a desktop. And then I actually had to borrow money for the first iMac. And then I got the the used laptop from someone. And I needed that because I was moving to the U.S. Mm-hmm. also. So this is 2003, actually. Anyways, it, I had a Mac laptop. And then I remember Macs were kind of slow at the time for the price. So I switched to PC and then had a maybe two, three years of PC laptops. Oh, really? What was your PC laptop? Was it a Dell or what was it? Acer, okay. I think. And, a, and an Asus. And it, it turns out that PC laptops kind of run really fast for a while. And then the storm comes. <laughs> and then slowly things deteriorate. So I... I I think objectively, I got more value out of Macs because they last. Yeah, what? Is, why is that? Like, so I have a PC um, here at home that I run. I do all my VR development on, and I've always had Macs. Uh, and then I had to do because you can't do VR on a on a Mac, uh, pretty much. And so it's possible, but you have, there's workarounds and stuff. So um, 
this PC though, like every like week or so I have to like restart it, which by the way, like that reminds me of when I had a tower two in, in the nineties, you used to have to restart your computer all the well, time. I, I think on a PC you have more access to like when you install things, they're more really changing the system or changing things in the system. You have more permission. Okay. And the Mac is, is always like, it's always kind of not that fast. Yeah. But it stays the same for three years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was such a big deal for me to get my first laptop. I had like saved up. I, I you know, I bought it. I've never bought it. But new. you needed one that does video. Well, also, I, I didn't buy a new one. I always bought used because I couldn't afford a, a brand new one. Yeah. So I, I finally, it was finally good enough. It, it could match my desktop in terms of performance, but, and, my three year old desktop. You, would you kind of treat it as the desktop would be where you, did the bulk of the work and when you travel you could tweak things but you couldn't really edit a full work uh i know i still i i switched full on to a laptop because i had this uh my whole you know one of the big things for me as an artist is that whatever you see me make i made that with like my laptop with the t with one tool like it's not post-produced it's all in real time okay and so there's only one. There's only one way I can reflect what I'm making, which is with the, whatever the technology that I have access to. That's the best I can afford uh, today. So um, that was so you could see if you look at my work in successive generations of laptops, the quality of the the rendering and everything gets better because the real time aspects of it, uh, what's possible in real time, get better gets better. Up until my most recent laptop, <laughs> up until my uh, my latest Touch Bar MacBook Pro, which um, is no more performant, almost zero performance difference between that and the four-year-old MacBook uh, Pro that I had uh, previously owned. So it, 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 there was no joy buying it. Like, oh, this is better. Well, there was no joy for my artistic practice from a trap it was the same as going from a desktop though to a laptop i'll say so when i got my first laptop it was this like finally i can like i can actually move it was like as a part of my body it literally yeah. impacted my body like i could i could leave I, the house i, I think it's funny because any creative artist the uh, video video filmmaker everybody now it, i think it's pretty normal to have a laptop yeah, but this laptop. Um, so the latest but, MacBook but Pro. But back is, when we were there, a laptop was a pretty yeah. luxurious thing. Yeah, yeah. And the but the latest MacBook Pro. Just so I can finish that thought, was is just so much lighter and 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 easier to travel with. So the other thing is, I should say, and, and I think this is where this is part of the segue from earlier is important is that the screen size for me has always had to be 15 inches, and I get I get very frustrated with 13 inches. And I think we should talk a little <laughs> bit about screen size. And well, 12 inches is my favorite size. That's your favorite? For a laptop, yeah. Why is that? Uh, because it's smaller. <laughs> right? No, because it's lighter, of course. But yeah. here's the thing. Like, in the history of art making, I think it's important to consider screen sizes. Don't you have a piece, actually, where you put mirrors on the wall for all the various yeah. screen sizes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was, yeah. when I saw that piece, it made me think about uh, painting. Uh, and the history of painting is also one of different screen sizes. Um, you know, like you have... Yeah, from the mural to the vase to... Yeah, and then all the way yeah. down to the miniature. And then eventually, you know, like, um, it made me think about how uh, up until uh, a certain era, like, paintings were painted vertically, like a laptop, you know, is you this... The way a laptop's oriented, you have the keyboard and then a 90-degree angle to the screen, mm -hmm. right? Which is very similar to how a canvas might rest on an easel. But then yeah. something happens in... You know, in the in the the middle of the last century, in like 1952, 
uh, and or even before then, people like Jackson Pollock, but specifically, I think like Frankenthaler, who is a a woman who is a painter, she started pouring paint onto the floor and onto the canvas, and the can and the like the screen or her canvas became like the floor, uh, which I like. And then the screen, like the size of that canvas was enormous, right? Uh, and then through the 80s with like Julian Schnabel and stuff, the, the, it, the it canvas got to be... It also had a lot be... to do with the, the space they were in. So the, a lot of the, the European avant-garde had to... All the ideas of early abstraction were pretty small paintings mm-hmm. because they had really small studios. Oh, and it yeah. Was like, there was different wars going on, so it wasn't like they were going to be like, oh, I'm going to build a barn in the countryside and make Jackson Pollock-sized works. But then... Of course, the U.S. everything is about scale. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's yeah. that's why paintings became big. I never put that together, but you're right. Both Frankenthaler, Pollock, they had these huge studios um, and just massive amounts. And collectors of space. had bigger homes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I, I think that for me that was it, it was it's just an interesting thought because um, from a laptop standpoint, I've been sort of unwilling to go down for portability to like a 12 inch because i need the 15 inches to like fully imagine but then when you have access to an even bigger screen so you know there i don't know there's this balance for me between portability and uh screen size and i don't know if i could um if i would prefer like a why aren't why do the laptops stop at 15 inches i guess is the question they don't i think there's gaming laptops that go to 27 inches. No, yeah, and Apple had a 17-inch laptop, and yeah. uh, it just, they I, th- I don't think they have it anymore. It's discontinued, right? So they sort of, like, formalize these screen sizes in relationship with what you're making. And the reason I was thinking about this is because a lot of artists keep a sketchbook, right? Yeah. And the sketchbook that you keep, there are two kinds of sketchbooks you might keep. One is for just, like, kind of doodles and taking notes, and that would be, like, you know your uh, it would fill, fit in your shirt pocket yeah your yeah you're like kind of moleskine size thing and it's similar actually to a large if you those smaller notebooks to a, a large what's now like a large phone or what actually what you yeah. call a normal phone now right like phone screen sizes have gotten up to that like kind of moleskine like take little notes field note kind of sized right and then then you have like the iPads of the world and those are kind of like like more serious sketchbooks, but a real sketchbook like that you would use to like start to make something close to uh, a study. Uh, Which is more like A4 letter size. Yeah, that's actually laptop sized. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. then I realized like my laptop's actually more of a sketchbook. And um, and potentially, if you're thinking about like, if you're Pollock or Frankenthal or something, you're working with a projector or like a, yeah. a large 70 inch television is starting to get close to what you need to express yeah, yeah. yourself. Well, the, I, I really like the combo of the, the laptop and the, the screen that you connect to it. So that's the way I've worked, I think, the last 12 years or something. You need that extra space, though. That. Well, when I'm at home, yeah. So, but I'm always working on the same machine. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I wanted one, one thing about phone sizes, which is really interesting to me is when we scroll through Instagram we kind of forget that we're looking at a small image but if you would print a book with photos and it would actually be the size that you see the photos on your phone Mm -hmm. because you're not even using the phone horizontally Mm. you're using it vertically Mm -hmm. so the photo is maybe at the max four inches wide and to think of a photo magazine like a glossy fashion magazine that's four inches wide Mm-hmm. That's weird, no? That's a tiny fashion. But remember, fashion like um, consumer photography was four by six inches, right? The four by six photo. 
for sort of the Polaroid size. Um, no, like bigger than that. Like when you would go, you know, get your Kodak film printed okay. at Sears or whatever, or Walmart. Well, that's bigger than than the photos you see on Instagram. That's true. With it, with Instagram in the square sort of size, they're they're more in Polaroid size, I think. Um, yeah, or even smaller. It's it's really it, it's really mind-boggling how influential it is and how small it is physically. But don't forget, like in the Victorian age, like people would have had tiny little photos inside of a locket or something like that, right? Like, and in yeah. uh, you know parts of the Arab world, the miniature was the way most uh, things were depicted, like tiny, tiny okay. little. Uh, like micro-sized uh, paintings and things like that, yeah. portraits. But but yeah, the, the, uh, before we move along, I really remember getting the the laptop the first time and just really f- that same liberating feeling of I can live anywhere. That that was it for me. Like mm-hmm. oh, I could just live there for a while. I can live there for a while. Um, I can just sublet my place and rent something somewhere else for this. And and. I, no. The laptop is really everything you have to have with you. No, and that's just it. And I think it actually changed the world because I moved to Berlin uh, shortly after that for a very short period of time before yeah. before you were there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was uh, that was how I did it. There was no other way I could have done it. In fact, it would have been. No. It would, I wouldn't. It would. And you might. That might be why Berlin, you know, in the mid aughts, was suddenly flooded flooded with artists. Right. Like. Well, especially with the digital related, because I remember I did a residency in Tokyo and one of the other artists was a painter mm-hmm. who was also doing the residency and so for him it was kind of downtime and he got a little anxious after a while because he was missing his studio mm. and I was just working as a, a, I mean it was my complete studio no no, no you're no making difference. you're making a yeah. big point yeah and like a, a good point rather <laughs> our, our show's <laughs> now called Big Point uh, <laughs> which is that for me, yeah, the laptop is the whole studio. I think I explained, you know, that a few minutes ago without saying it that way. But like, whatever is whatever I'm capable of doing on the laptop today is what I want to show the world, right? And, and it's also the the device that people. It's it's your studio, but it's also the exhibition space. Yeah, it's the exhibition space when the internet is connected to it, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you mean. Yeah, but it you know for, traditionally and for some artists still actually for a large number of artists their studio and is is a whole bunch of things right uh, I was yesterday I was in like a metalworking studio and there's like all these different machines and they're super cool but like incredibly heavy I asked the guy like what would you grab with you if there was a fire and he's like I don't know everything's <laughs> like super heavy I'd lose it all but it wouldn't burn in the fire it's metal yeah but these are it was kind of like you know the equipment would get ruined in some way. Um, like a hydraulic presses and like <laughs> diamond saws and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But anyway, but that's true. Like if you're a printmaker or uh, a painter, you're still, uh, you're not able to, I guess painting is still, por- has always been portable though, in a way. Painting is similar to a laptop in that you could roll a canvas and you could, they've, they've always had these little kits, like for, because painters have always gone out into the field, right, to do landscape. Well, or, they're not always. That That's since Impressionism. Right. That's how Impressionism happened because they made, paint available in tubes and before that you would have to grind the pigment with a medium and paint within two hours or it would dry up. Oh, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, when I say always, I only think back a hundred years. I don't believe in time before that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a really, really good point that the paints becoming portable allowed them to paint different things. I wonder whether that's true about laptops, whether people have created different things because they have access 
to the laptop. Now, certainly no one is going out into wilderness with their laptop. Or not no one, but I didn't. Well, it, my the first it, thought wasn't like I can get out into nature with my laptop. I guess the, the laptop, uh, when it comes to digital art, there was digital art before the laptop. And maybe the laptop together with the internet made uh, new media more lightweight, also in mindset. Mm -hmm. So more thinking in animated GIFs or blog posts. That comes from the tool being less heavy as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like the the thing that changed for me is I could bring it, like I said earlier, up on stage. Um, and you still sometimes, like you mentioned earlier, some having to bring discs to the computer lab and stuff. When I do a performance or presentation somewhere, and they're like, "Yeah, just bring your USB stick, and we'll plug it into the laptop." That's like literally saying like just like plug into my body <laughs> and use me as a puppet or something like yeah. just put up your hand up my ass and make my <laughs> I kind of like doing that because I show everything from the browser so mm. to me it's interesting showing it from another machine and it might not run well but that's part of what the work is but what I think is interesting about it in relationship with how we open the podcast is a filmmaker doesn't think that they need the device that created the thing for the playback of the work right they're like no they no. they extract that as a you know now as a file but, but previously some, as a I think there's reel. a bit of a actually there's a bit of a movement against that now where it's like everybody's just streaming it on their iPad and watching a 10 inch movie mm -hmm. and like no we, we're going to screen this in in 70 theaters on IMAX and for for a long time so it won't be available I mean that's that's a whole discussion now like mm -hmm. should movies be available for streaming right away but then people won't go to the movie theaters and the filmmakers intended the work to be seen large together with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, that's why uh, Kristen's insisting we see Dunkirk in 70 millimeter, right? So, like, yeah. because it's not available to everyone, it's an experience that we can only a certain... The theater could provide, right? Uh, um, but <clears throat> what I mean to say is that, like, it can still be distributed across m multiple theaters. Like, whereas I don't really believe in distributed like if i uh, my performance you don't believe in recording basically yeah i don't i if if you make a recording it's a different work of art which i i do yeah. i make recordings and i consider those different than my performances live they're performances for the recording device or in the 1970s they called that recording uh performances for the camera what i call performance for the computer but if you're performing for an audience like i think you have to bring your own equipment i know I, musicians think this way too very rarely would a musician want to plug into someone else's guitar yeah. and I, I made I think I've made this argument before I can't remember but I really believe the laptop is the equivalent to the internet artist or the artist as the electric guitar was to I, I'm to the less musician. strict about that like usually I'm fine presenting on someone else's laptop the only time it really I paid the price is uh, it was a presentation for the the potential board of and like all these important collectors of the MoMA mm -hmm. and I had to show my work and I was like oh I'm sure they have a great laptop it's the MoMA and then they had a ThinkPad with the little uh, tiny button instead of a touch pad and I had a really hard time presenting so <laughs> bad timing no it's always terrible I did a presentation a few weeks ago where I had to present on someone else's computer and I'll tell it's like if Jimi Hendrix arrived on stage and was handed like an acoustic no, guitar no it's not the same thing <laughs> it's yeah. the same. I'm trying but to you're, glamorize you're running custom soft software with special settings yeah yeah exactly and like also just there's but for me there's also a comfort I don't know when you sit down and type on someone else's computer even kind of if it's the same model, there's like a slightly different feel yeah. to it. Like even the way that I, for me, I don't like cleaning my computer that often. So even like, do the you way feel the same using someone else's phone or you think yeah. the settings there are so generic that it doesn't matter? 
That's interesting. I mean, there's so many, there's it's 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 common, of course, that someone else would have an iPhone, but like, yeah, the little change, little changes they make to it, like what the screenshot looks like, all these kind of personalized things. Because yeah. the computer is to me, the, the the laptop is way more personalized with. No, you're making a really good point. System extensions yeah. and and uh, uh, I have a Finder replacer, and then I have a, a tool to resize the windows with key yeah, commands, I, I, and I and, and, and special yeah. No, and, you and if, if you're things. developing software too, um, like custom software, you're adding a lot of dependencies and libraries. Like you know, you're extending the ability of your development environment and. When you get into someone else's development environment, like this is, it's like no way this is gonna work. Or if you have to build one from scratch, like when I yeah. do workshops, sometimes I'll have to like help a student like get their computer set up, and it's just like, oh, this feels so wrong. Like I'm inside. But, it's like open heart surgery. But there's a there's an analogy with the you you have people who draw or paint or sculpt in their own studio. Mm-hmm. But there's always been a tradition of people working with master printmakers. So you go to their studio. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or or you work with someone who makes tapestries, and you go to the weaver, and a lot of painters made uh, tapestries with external makers, yep. like master weavers or master printmakers. So that's kind of like working on someone's other computer, <clears throat> but they run this very specific software that you don't have. Well, in developer circles, they there's a the specific um, kind of arrangement that's called pair programming. That's very very similar. So. The for, you know for decades you know the idea of programming was like a solitary activity. Of course, hobbyists would like geek out together, but now to keep quality up, a lot of um, and to remove sort of like uh, errors in, in in writing code, they and because you know code uh, in groups is often based on peer review, and they'll do like yeah, and things. teams must be, get bigger. Yeah, they do. There's, there's like a, it's like a journal when you're writing code, and there's like you know you'll have a pull request or something like that, which is the equivalent of like a peer reviewed journal being like, hey, everyone, can you make sure that this is like good code? But one other thing that people have started doing for quite a while now is pairing programmers together, and two people sit at one computer. To, to compose um, the music that is code or whatever, right? That's like on the piano with the, the quatre mains, the four hands. Yeah, pieces. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then and so you can yeah you can write higher quality code that way because the idea being like oh why did you do that and also someone they both programmers can learn from each other. Um, apparently there are pros and cons uh, to doing it, but it can often result in a higher quality um, higher quality code with fewer bugs and um, often like breakthroughs because you have your it's two brains working on the same instrument it it feels the same as a a musician who who would tour playing the violin and of course they would travel with their own violin Mm -hmm. and then i imagine a concert pianist doesn't travel with a grand piano so they they have to trust that or or even an an organ player Mm -hmm. they definitely can't travel with an organ so you just have to hope that the organ you're playing on is has the right setting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you make a, uh, an interesting point about the piano because I believe like there are certain piano brands that um, that rose to certain prominence, right? Because like you wouldn't you would want to know the instrument well enough that it was kind of just almost the same as the as the as the piano you might have at home or something like that. Of course, it would have mm-hmm. to be tuned and everything. Just as it's always interesting when someone actually go, to go back to that guitar analogy picks up someone else's guitar and they play a few strings on it, right? And then they they make adjustments, right? They tune it to their ear. Um, on laptops, they tried to do this with this is like me really stretching here, but they tried to do this with like cloud based like kind of logins, right? Or 
having multiple logins so that yeah. you know the settings are the settings are important enough that they're almost like tuning a guitar and that you could log in to another computer and then the the, the thing i it, the logical transition from mainframe computer to midframe to smaller to mm-hmm. personal computer to laptop and then the, the natural extension is to go to the phone uh, the phone and then to ambient computing and, and augmented reality vr and and uh, sound audio driven mm-hmm. but i still think that everything that came after the laptop is not so even artists who do projects on social media usually edit those projects first on a laptop or desktop it still seems that mobile is for consumption yeah but my argument is that it has a lot to do with um the actual the the screen dimensions um but also with the input device so the because accuracy matters to an artist right the tool this is the one thing that i you're seeing Microsoft and Apple kind of try and do this now with like because they're trying to push the iPad and uh, the Microsoft Surface tablets as these like artistic creation devices. And what is yeah, the, exactly. what's the thing that yeah. they're working on most right now? It's the accuracy of pen-based input, right? Input, yeah. Because if if you went to every painter and you're like, mm, you know that brush thing, we're going back to fingers, just finger painting from now on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you like that uh, the the different pen nibs you have? No, 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 just fingers. That's all we do now. <laughs> yeah. No, you're so. just gonna breathe into your computer. Just tell it what to do. Exactly. Yeah. Just use your tongue. Just like lick it up and down. It's, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same as a, a, that that fine tool you've been using so they're trying to improve the speed and accuracy which is important in most uh in most craft-based professions do you know any projects that that you know for a fact were made on a phone and and published that way and there was no desktop os involved yeah yeah yeah. because uh like a a young student here that and i i don't know if she's continued with this project but who i was working with and uh her name's amna mufazar here in toronto and she when her graduating project in her BFA here at the at OCAD was she didn't her laptop broke or something and so she only had her phone and she was in the sculpture program <laughs> and uh, which means she could have just gone into the studio but instead <laughs> uh, she used her phone and set uh, these these constraints which was that she was going to create sculptures on her phone while she did her run every morning like she was you know doing running okay. exercises and she, and then 3D print those sculptures and that was her yeah. uh, yeah. thesis exhibition which i thought was brilliant that you know the a because she accepted this constraint that she had to be moving to make the sculpture and that what i thought was brilliant about it is it was very similar to what you mentioned about the impressionists it's like she did something that wasn't possible um, without the technology in that form factor yeah yeah i i think of uh, two artists that's uh, Michael Manning who made a lot of touchscreen paintings mm-hmm. so he would use yeah, yeah. the whole idea of the easiest way of painting on a mobile device but I also know that a lot of his paintings the, the mobile software is not high res enough so if he wants to make bigger works he does have to do it on a desktop mm-hmm. that's funny because I yeah and, yeah yeah and the other artist that comes to mind is Richard Prince with his Instagram works mm-hmm. so he all his work was about re-photography and he was interested in the screenshot as a very oh, right. objective, perfect we talked about, And we talked about that in the appropriation episode. Yeah, and, and uh, he also, he wanted to do everything in the phone. So the way he put his signature was by commenting on the photo. Um, and then he would just email those works to the printer. So that's about it. But then there's, there's a desktop involved for printing. Mm. Oh, you mean once it gets to the printer? 
Yeah, I, but as far as the artist studio, he's really just sitting on the couch with the the phone. But this idea of like um, outsourcing the production of the work, the laptop really did enable that. And so, and the phone, I guess, has the same power, which is like you can send a file to a place where they'll just they'll yeah. make the thing. Like the studio do, is. Do you use the phone in your performances? Um, have so I've done a few performances that require a phone. Like the, I think I've mentioned previously a performance I've done recently that requires the audience to like uh, provide real time feedback via their phones. Um, and I, but I haven't done a. I did a piece where I created an iPhone app. Um, that yeah, it was just like motion controls, very simple. And it was like a sculptural piece, so the phone was included in the sculptures, this hammer and sickle um, iPhone oh, yeah, case yeah, yeah. stuff. But, there but those were, were made on a desktop. Yeah, and, and I programmed the iPhone. You have to still... What I find crazy is you still have to... This is the thing. You ha, you still have to program an iPhone app on a laptop. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like, you can't... The fact that you can't actually build software for well, the I device on code, the device is you need is a fun. pretty big screen. You can't really code on a yeah, 10-inch screen. Okay, then why can't you code on, on an iPad? Um, I don't think multitasking is so convenient on an iPad. Even copy pasting is really tedious compared. But it's to almost like an admission from these companies. Now you can, of course, on a on a Surface, you can do anything, right? I, I, yeah, but there's 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 limits. Like you can't program on a Roku either. So, well, the, the thing that I find interesting is that programming um, for Swift and and probably on, in uh, the environment that the Microsoft's environments too, you you have to type. Um, out code, right? But there's another kind of coding, which is visual coding, which is always like real program. Drag and drop coding? Yeah, well, like patch cords between objects like Max MSP, PD, uh, VVVV, yeah. um, even blueprints inside of Unreal. These visual programming environments actually would be really great for touch, but for some reason, none of those, um, the people that like create have is, created is those. Is Minecraft kind of programming visually? It is a kind of programming, yeah. Um, and that exists on, on mobile devices, I suppose. But you're not going to like publish outside of the Minecraft environment. I mean, if you no. wanted to create something that was of your own kind of, with fewer constraints of your own, you know, of, uh, like some something that because I don't I don't want to make Minecraft art, Raphael. Like if I want to, like if I wanted to write my own painting application, just as an example, I couldn't do that from the phone on the phone. No, no, I no. I, I, I think there are some examples of people making things on mobile, but it's rare. But I think that the, the people that might want to do that, which is people like myself or yourself, uh, people who work with code in their art, aren't able to code on those platforms, and therefore they have to use someone else's tools. And there's nothing wrong with misusing tools. That's a big part of new media history and electronic art history. But it would be great if people started to make tools to make tools uh, on those devices. Uh, there's also the... It's funny that the old people, which is also the stereotype, there's, there's David Hockney doing the iPad paintings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, can't, doesn't don't you think he gets frustrated with the company whose app he's using? Like, if I had to use just... No, he. I think he's a person who likes playing with defaults. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he made all those... Uh, scans of environments by shooting hundreds of Polaroids right. of, of the same landscape and putting them together in a collage. And he wasn't like, I wish they made the color hue a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, this is the default and that's interesting. Yeah, I, and I know that I was really, uh, I wasn't into that David Hogney stuff at first. And over time, like the fact that he's just continued to do it. Um, I mean, he's 
Like, because he, if he had just done it once, here's the thing. If he had just done that for like uh, a couple weeks, like, or a, a couple shows, then I would have been like, yeah, it's just a gimmick. But the fact that he's, how long has he been doing it now? Like, yeah, yeah, since the 60s. But of course, he wasn't on an iPad in the 60s, but he'd been doing the, the touch paintings now for almost like 10 years or something, right? Yeah. Um, no, but he, every decade, there's a, there's a really great video where he is exploring a, a computer. A really early computer with a painting software, mm-hmm. I think late seventies, early eighties, and he has a, a sort of pen that he's moving around on a table, and at the same time there's a TV in front of him, and he's describing what he does. He's like, "Okay, I'm moving my hand, and a representation of my hand is moving across the screen. <laughs> yeah. If I move horizontally, that entity moves horizontally." And he talks about the color quality because it was a. a, a a cathode ray display so it had this sort of neon effect and he was excited about that and he's really working as a painter he's constantly squinting his eyes to look at the composition a bit more blurry mm-hmm. to to not look at the details but look at the big pictures so he's constantly squinting and talking and and exploring and he it part of what the the video was about is it was shot on video but the parts where they show the painting they show the direct video feed of the painting machine so he's like you're not looking at a reproduction, you're looking at the actual work mm-hmm. as he was painting. Yes. So he's like, this is this is not someone filming paint, this is me inputting signals right onto your TV. Yeah, that's actually really, really huge. <clears throat> and like uh, a big part of the history that I'm familiar with from video art, where video artists started to perform for a camera that was connected to a monitor so that they could see their reflection as they were being recorded. And you know when earlier when you mentioned that like perform where I mentioned like performing for an audience was different than performing for my laptop. When I'm working on my laptop, I feel the same way. In that if I distribute whatever I've recorded on my laptop in that moment is some is is the work right like is is transportable. It's, it's not documentation. It's not doc- mm. Yes, that's the <clears throat> that's the fundamental thing. It's not documentation, right? Like Chris Burden famously didn't document any of his works. Um, because the, you know, if you get shot <laughs> in the arm, like in one of his performances, you kind of had to be there. <clears throat> Though he did. Yeah, he did I, I, I do think that it, it it's a bit. Um, there's a how do you say? There, there's something not cohesive about the argument because it does live on as a story, which is also not the performance itself. So yeah, it, it's it's you're trying to be purist, but you you always fail. So. <laughs> the same with Tino Segal. He says, like, don't take pictures of my performance, but then it lives on as a story, which is also... Mm. But as a story told say, from person to person, yeah. Or mistold. Yeah, then then you should say, like, okay, I'm going to perform this, but nobody can ever speak about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I, I, I mean, the, but the thing is, maybe he wants it to be about what people say and not what people document. Yeah, but then is, is that story documentation or that's the work? And then, mm-hmm. Yeah. I see what you're saying, but I mean, I can't help but think that you wouldn't want your um, your websites to be translated into video and then translated to film, and then mm-hmm. someone takes a a video, a phone video of it, and posts that, and then they're like, "Yeah, it's the same as the real thing. It's the same as the original." Yeah. No, uh, I, I I think they're tentacles of the project. So. But it is interesting to consider um, in relationship to previous episodes about appropriation and, and, and re-photographing and so on and so forth. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I guess uh, 
the, the I'm just saying, I think the laptop was revolutionary. The screen size matters. The device input I, matters. I think the laptop also <clears throat> caused a lot of physical harm and people lunching over too much. What do you mean? Oh, like uh, hunching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like generations of people, because the screen should be a bit higher. I just stood up a little, or sit, sat up a little straighter, because I do hunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll have a generation of people who are a little bit shorter, because they worked on laptops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and definitely, uh, you know, people who have spent more time indoors. But I don't I don't think that's true. Where artists are concerned, they've often... I mean, you mentioned the, the Impressionists, but very few artists outside of photographers now would really spend time working outdoors. Um, yeah, I always wish I could work more outdoors. But it's funny because they talk about the laptop as this device that, you know, in advertising early on, they would always show people in a park, right? Or, in, mm-hmm. you know, like... It became out. a coffee shop thing more than a park thing. That's actually yeah. a really good point. And, and you're right, coffee shops, like, have become these... Uh, and then co-working spaces followed that, right? Yeah. But the people got out of their houses and into coffee shops. And I'm not the type of person that works in coffee shops but i imagine some of our listeners are artists who prefer to work in coffee shops and it, it, it's a bit of a, a, a light dark uh, it, it has a good side and a bad side so it's part of it is yeah i can work anywhere and part of it is real estate has gotten so expensive i have to sit in a crowded coffee shop because my apartment's even more depressing <laughs> and i and, and my boss won't give me a room anymore we have to do this open office thing and yeah. i just have to sit anywhere so I was about to make a romantic comparison, like you know, was the artist in the Parisian cafe? Is it equivalent to that? Probably not, because that was leisure. That was kind of like salon leisure time in Paris. So you know, like when well, the French know how to relax. Yeah, and so it's like, but it, now we've turned our 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 spaces for conversation and relaxation into workspaces as well. <laughs> it's like how many more spaces yeah. could we take over as workspaces? And the laptop actually has been part of that progress towards making it is, everything work it, all the time. It is pretty annoying when you want to go for a coffee and like, someone is having a, a loud Skype conversation <laughs> next to you. I can't really hear you right now. A, I'm recording my podcast. There's a cafe near my house that's pretty popular and half of the tables have you know laptops allowed and then the other half to have no laptops okay. allowed. And so yeah. like there's like a quiet area too and, a, and like a conversation area. Like They've started to parcel up the cafe according to yeah maybe you can just divide it by having electric outlets on one side and then it, it solves itself <laughs> yeah just the batteries die on the other side uh, yeah. is, is is do you have a dream for what the laptop where it could go yeah this is a great place for us to segue into um, what everyone's thinking which is Jeremy what's that MacBook Pro with touch bar <laughs> really like uh, like certainly it feels like now it, we've been in in like a half a decade of optimization on laptops and some people talk about like how laptops have come are going through a renaissance and if we shouldn't we'd be remiss if we didn't mention all the PC laptop innovation that's happening like mm-hmm Actually, you can get... Because the, the gamer laptops are getting thinner, too. Yeah, and um, NVIDIA managed to f- uh, figure out a way of taking their high-end desktop graphics cards and actually making them laptop-capable, which Apple seemingly ignored for some reason, uh, going with AMD. But um, the NVIDIA cards like the 1060 and 1050, the 1050 is especially in a lot of laptops right now, and it's a very fast card. Like, you could... You can develop you could develop VR legitimately on it, especially on the my, 1060. My, my take has always been, whatever the technology does well, 
go even a little bit under that. So it, when the mobile phone came, I wasn't trying to do desktop stuff on the mobile phone, but I thought I'll, I'll write Haiku because mm-hmm. the phone has the notes app. So the only thing, yeah, my, when I think about the wish list of the future of computers, it, I just want like a year worth of battery and one charge. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so, so that's what Apple's been focused on, which is like, uh, mind you, the, I, the 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 battery doesn't last very long on the new MacBook Pro. They famously they scaled it back at the last minute. Um, I think on they, this, they, didn't they get rid of the the display that says how long your battery will last because it was just too <laughs> yeah yeah, and to make it because of course everyone wanted it to be thinner as well, or maybe they thought everyone wanted it to be thinner. And actually, I think people said they don't and they're fine with a fat laptop, but they're, once you have a thin laptop, you don't want to go back. So. Um, I, I, you know, and if and all the PC laptops are super thin now too. Um, it's just that they managed to squeeze in better cards, uh, graphics cards into them. Their batteries aren't better than Apple's either. That that much better than Apple's anyway. But you can get for like half the price, you can get like a Dell XPS 15 that's like almost you know is faster than the Apple at most things. Apple just updated the MacBook Pro um, with like the Cabby Lake chipset just to get nerdy for a second. I, I would what's interesting is that it really only offers about you know le- less than five percent performance improvement so it's the battery life's a little bit better because they did optimizations for 4k video um, but that's only if you use their software yeah it's like only if you're doing a lot of um, video playback so if you're wa- using a your laptop to watch movies on a plane or something you're gonna it's worthwhile the graphics cards know better even though they the series is now 560 instead of 460 or 550 instead of 450 um, there's still these kind of crappy uh, AMD cards and uh, and, and do, you, do you think you would have a use for a touch laptop Nah, yeah. So I've seen people use them, and all they seem to do is actually slide their thumb up and down the right hand side to scroll. Um, but I'm just s- mostly scrolling. I'm so yeah. used to like a hu- a touchpad, and the touchpad on the new Apple um, MacBook Pros is absurdly large. But actually, that's that's where I see things going. Actually, which is like a nice large surface area for your hands to do their thing. Yeah. Just like, or w- would you imagine using a stylus on that touchpad? Like that would be useful. Mm, not really for the work for I drawing? do. If nah, because I don't draw, I code. Like I think if I, I'd still need to type. Because uh, in coding, the thing is that you have to refer to a large, a large number of objects or like uh, commands, and that library is huge. There's no way. I don't know. Maybe I, I'll, I'll I'll eat my words later. But there's no way to actually like access things more quickly than typing because search is. I guess if you could speak, if speech recognition was fast enough for you to search for the objects you needed to program the thing. Now, of course, a lot of people say programming won't exist in 10 years because programs will write themselves for you. But I think artists will still want to make and write their own software because they'll reject the consumer tools. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always wonder if the future is that you you have some voice computer and you you just say... Uber meets Whole Foods and it just generates a startup and then within five minutes you know if you're a billionaire or not. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be just like, why don't you kill yourself? You're never going <laughs> to succeed. Like, it's like <laughs> letting a, uh, letting the computer play your life for you as a board game. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I think the laptop has a long, a long life to live. Um, I just wish that they would recognize that sooner rather than later because it, it's really like... It's actually been around since uh, the 1920s, if you think about it, because the typewriter is really just an extension of the laptop, right? So, 
uh, or the laptop's an extension I, of the typewriter. I remember reading a, sister, a, a story to my little sister. She's eight years younger, so and I, I think I was 14 and uh, she was six. And then I was reading the story and the story was talking about a typewriter. And she's like, what's a typewriter? I'm like, well, it's, it's kind of a computer without a screen with a printer in no, it. No, there is a screen. It's a piece of paper. Yeah, and she's like, huh? It was really hard to comprehend what it. It just has a really low refresh rate. That's what you should say. It's like <laughs> well, it's it has a, no undo. It's like what is it? It's like it's one hertz. <laughs> well, it had that white tape, right? That was the undo. Yeah, or it's like it, yeah. it's like in negative infinity hertz or something. I'm getting the math wrong, but like it yeah. can't be refreshed. Uh, yeah, and, but but it is interesting with the computer industry that it's at this point where. Uh, it's good enough for ninety nine percent of tasks. This, of course, people developing VR would need a very powerful laptop. But for most people, even photographers and even yeah. video editors, for most people, it doesn't have to quadruple to do their work. And then they just keep upping the resolution of content, so people have to buy new laptops. But it's, it's, oh, well, go to eight K. I'm going to challenge this just for a second because I kind of disagree on this for most people thing. Because who is defining this most people thing? It's like. Imagine well, I'm I'm a, I'm a media artist and my laptop is five years old I think and I never run into speed problems. Yeah, but you're not a seventeen-year-old new media artist. Like when if someone in mm. like nineteen eighty-five was like, uh, yeah, I think for most people this is all of the the need for doing uh, yeah, yeah, spreadsheets yeah, yeah. to manage their. No, but home my question finances. is what what. What do you think the laptop is going to do that it can't do yet that will be really uh, vital for a lot of people? Uh, I think, well, this is the thing, a lot of people, like, I don't want to assume less of people. I want to assume that they're going to be expressing themselves in ways I can't imagine right now. But, but, yeah, yeah, but do you imagine we need more CPU, GPU, or is there something else that they're not seeing? Definitely GPU, because I think people are pushing into mixed reality or merged reality. And for me, that's where Mm -hmm. um, I'm frustrated with my current um, laptop and even desktop situation is that I can't do the processing on my body and on the computer vision stuff that I want to do fast enough um, so that I can merge yeah, software yeah, yeah. software with my body. And I'm I, like an old timer. Yeah. Like I can imagine that I, there's I would, probably yeah. a 21 year old wants to do more than that. I'm going to argue against myself now, but it's true that even normal computer users my parents, they, they, uh, they use Keynote a lot. Mm-hmm. And they always run into... Every generation of laptop is a higher resolution. And it's always kind of jittery because they don't have the, <laughs> the beefy graphics card. So a lot of people will run into the problem that they'll use a Keynote or a Google presentation or Microsoft presentation. And they want to do swipes between slides. <laughs> and then it, it, there's just something about generative live graphics every computer can run video just fine but there's something about live graphics where um, like it still can't it, do a wipe transition smoothly like, like no no we still and, haven't and, perfected and that I think moving a large image across the screen like scanning an image has always been very intense for a computer yeah no I mean uh, uh, the 4k thing definitely if we're going to standardize on that, yeah, for, and it's going to be eight K soon, and then well, I, I I feel like that doesn't need to happen because I can't see the pixels anymore. But yeah, but they got to make money. <laughs> Maybe the only here's where I think laptops will eventually expire, and it's kind of speculative and probably won't happen. And I'll sound foolish. Well, that's what this podcast is. Yeah, for. I'll sound foolish in a few years. People are like, oh my god, it's so ridiculous. And I, I'm as I'm saying this is it's going to sound ridiculous to you, but if 
the mixed reality, or which is Microsoft's term for it, or augmented reality, as Apple wants uh, you to refer to it. If that future does lead where all of the patents say it is going to go, your screen, the screen of your laptop and the screen size will be more of a measure of like whatever your taste allows, whatever your field of vision allows. So however large you want it to be, the, even if you watch a Microsoft keynote, they always do the most boring thing, but it, it's kind of probably what's going to happen is they throw screens up all over the surfaces in your That's house. That's the thing that I disagree with. <laughs> we, okay. we spoke about the VR episode, but I think having uh, a projection or a tiny thing on your eye is just physically uncomfortable. Okay, yeah. No so if they can find a way around it, which you're absolutely right, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. I think they're still going to have that's the, why the AR. They're going to have the, the AR of, of Apple seems so uh, uh, realistic because it's on your phone and yeah, yeah, that's more comfortable. It, it, I mean, okay, we, we should mention we the listeners whole, that uh, Apple came out with AR Kit, and this is kind of a big deal. It's funny that it was a big deal because. They bought all these companies, by the way. All, all of this technology existed, like five. Metayo. Yeah, exactly. Prime Sense, which you, they haven't done anything with yet, but you'll see some stuff soon. And also, uh, Face Shift, another company they bought. They bought all these AR companies for both the body and the and the built environment. And they've just started to release software development kits so that other people can build for the iPhone, iPad, and I assume the Mac on top of these. I, kits. I think what they did is. All the other companies with mixed reality were shooting for the high end. Like, how can we make it as realistic as possible? And Apple is more doing it like, how can we run this on a lot of phones? And it's not exactly physically realistic, but we're going to do these visual tricks that well, it feels yeah. realistic. And they also need to de-risk like the long term. Like, there's no point trying to do get it to be pretty bad. Like, if if it, as as Steve Jobs has said previously, and I mentioned in that. Uh, older episode like it's no point being like a pretty bad laptop and a pretty bad uh, tablet like Chromebooks were not Chromebooks were like um, netbooks were remember in you know sort of referred to that uh, previously yeah like the netbook was good for no one there's no point having a pretty bad like retinal projection display I can't believe I'm saying it that way and like pretty bad motion tracking and computer vision so that you get a like cut like a mediocre mixed reality so you might as well put it on the phone, get like all of the software working, get people like using the development kit and making interesting things happen, prov- yeah. proving there's market fit for this. But anyway. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that this approach is not as photorealistic as the, the high-end Vive or Oculus. But that's not the point. They just want it to be. Well, those aren't even augmented reality. Everybody. I mean, there's only um, the only competitors right now that you can buy from. There's just Hololens. The there's just Hololens on my. And there's the Project Tango by Google. But that's also phone based. So Microsoft yeah, Hololens to, is the only. But what I mean is that with Project Tango, they they're, they're like we need a lot of extra sensors to make the AR super amazing. Yeah. Well, also. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So they like they Apple's solution will work with like junk technology which is always a good move right like make it cheap and and commodified with commodifiable technology so that the price is like the everyone can have it right whereas tango struggled to get the price of the components down but there is one other um company we should mention while we're at it is that could because there was a few stories about it this week which is that google did get back into the augmented reality game uh Google Glass is back. Google Glass is back, but for enterprise. <laughs> yeah. it's, it sounds like something that could be useful to people. And Well, it's being used as it should have been probably from the very beginning for people to read instruction manuals <laughs> <laughs> while they work on like complicated mechanical jobs. You know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's being used in the workplace uh, for jobs where you can't put your hands down to like 
use a laptop, which is again like uh, getting outside of the 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 artist studio, or the coffee shop, and getting. I, yeah, I mean, your your future prediction of of uh, yeah, so virtual screens in your in your field of vision. So I didn't finish though because you're missing the input yeah. device. You're missing the keyboard, and the only way we're ever going to replace the keyboard, guess what? It's not with voice, and you know that, right? Because we're not all going to be babbling, and we, the Bluetooth headsets proved that 15 years ago. It's going to be with some kind of like thought to text input and i i disagree why and i i think there's a fundamental thing about looking at your thoughts mm -hmm. whether it's a sketchbook or a typewriter there's a fundamental thing where you put down your thoughts and then look at it well i agree it's very different I agree. from dictating i agree it's absurd but and that, that, i know it's different from dictating too but it can't there need if you're gonna i don't know it's like then have you ever tried to dictate an essay it's impossible <laughs> So just imagine trying to think it. But what, why, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's just, then then we're going to have keyboards forever. Isn't that, wouldn't it be funny, though? Like, <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> and like in 200 years, they're like, we're seeing the future. We're going to have these virtual keyboards. It's like, no, it's you know, it's funny. It, I mean, it would be funny. The movie Her seems re really realistic. But then we should just start building keyboards right into our, like, clothing and into our thighs. Well, it's like, it's not about the keyboard, but it's, it's about seeing your thoughts in front of you and then sort of scratching around those thoughts. But wait a second, we already got rid of the keyboard for phones and tablets, right? Like but you're you're saying they didn't do No, I'm I'm saying when I'm when I'm typing a haiku, mm -hmm. it's a very short piece of text. Yeah. Saying it out loud without a piece of paper and then uh, uh, even if I recorded like dictating a haiku would feel really weird. It's very different. I type it. I'll type five versions, see those five versions next to each other mm -hmm. and then just sort of copy paste sentences. That's very different from dictating and then listening to it. Yeah, so, I mean, because I'm thinking, like, um, it, you're fine with a keyboard, right? So it And it doesn't have to be... Also, a virtual keyboard is, is fine, fine, but yeah, I'm just saying... You need that. Seeing, yeah, you need to seeing see Seeing the writing... I'm, I'm just using writing as an example of a very simple... But wait a second, uh, what does the muscle in your finger have to do with that thought? Then? No, no, it has to do with that I see the sentence in front of me. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so it would project the sentence in front of you, as and you would think. No, no, no. The, here's the, the thing: you maybe, would think like you're. Maybe typing. it's just a habit. Because you know, maybe, maybe yeah, maybe it's just a habit. But there's something about when you're typing, you can still think about other words. But when you're saying a word, you can't think about other words. But here's what they can do: because the Facebook was advertising this capability, which is you can think of your muscle moving, and they can detect that, so that you could think about your uh, as if you were typing. You could even type in the air, in thin air, right? And it would know what you were trying to type. And that maybe that's how we would... This is so stupid. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm saying dictation. Maybe, maybe there are writers who, who like dictation. And then... Uh, because you can dictate already for 10 years easily into a computer. You edit a little bit I'm not later, talking about dictation, though. I'm talking about a keyboard without the mechanics. So we, went, we had the mechanical keyboard. Then we had the touchscreen keyboard. And I'm just talking about the thought screen keyboard. And the, yeah, but that's the same as dictation. No, it's not because what I'm saying is you could you you just like when you think uh, they've proven that people actually move the same muscles as as they would if they they were speaking out loud. Like your vocal cord muscles and stuff actually shift as you're thinking of words. You would do the same thing with your fingers. You would just subtly move them. So like, just imagine a world where people are kind of like typing in the air, but very gently moving their fingers. But why would you still type then? 
Why not just think it? Because of what you just said. Because they, whatever it, the what you're is. saying is that, that people you, they, there's like some kind of full body experience involved in reflecting on the media we create. Yeah. Um, not scientifically proven, but it's what we're discussing. And what and, and so to do that, you would have to you have to work with. So you'd still have your hands, or maybe it's toes. I don't know, but some external part of your body outside of your brain would be your genitals. Yeah, sure. Your genitals are doing the typing and your mind is doing the thinking and you're working together (laughs) and you're coming out with uh, your penis haikus that way. That's (laughs) by Raphael Rosendahl. That's like your uh, dirty old man career. (laughs) Anyway, we're way over time. And uh, I forgot. Do we have a field recording? I know. This is the thing. I did uh, record some uh, cars last week. Remember last week I said there was like a a race outside my house. So there was like. Uh, Did you get a chance to record it well? Because it was a bit muted. Did you hear it already? The cars? No. No, no, no. no, Yeah, I re-recorded it. Um, Okay. And so there's like a there's a like a horrible race that takes. I I live in downtown Toronto and there's like this indie car. It's like Formula One, but like less important um in north america <laughs> so actually i think they drive in some european countries too anyway they sound like is it is it sedans or like no they're like nascar they, style cars or they're really formula they one look cars? like formula one cars but i think they're just not as prestigious like because it's not european and uh they they make a lot of noise they sound like bees um and for like a weekend every year they like shut down a section of the city here in toronto and which is right next to my house and they just race around this track making tons of noise like jets fly overhead and in a way it's really annoying but as a child it was my favorite sound i loved watching this and uh it it captured my imagination uh to think about these 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 machines that were pushing the limits of what was possible so it's not often a city that you hear race cars driving around so i thought that would be a fun thing to listen to um and really, uh, there's no absolutely no connection between that and laptops. What's, what's the name of the race? <laughs> it's called the Toronto Indy. It's like the Indy oh, cool. 500, which I'm sure you've heard of. Okay. Yeah. Well, then let's thank everybody for listening, and let's listen to the Toronto Indy. Yeah, and we need some field recordings, clearly. Cause, uh, and ads. We'll, we'll do free ads. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, thanks for continuing to send in your thoughts on the podcast. We really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.